Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is The Stacks Book Club Day. My friend and fellow podcaster, Sam Sanders, is back. We're going to discuss You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akweke Amezi. It is a messy love story about second chances and grief. And today, Sam and I talk about the rules of the romance novel, whether or not this book is actually a romance novel, who we were rooting for, the mess of it all, and so much more. And yes, there are spoilers in today's episode. Make sure you listen through to the end of the episode to hear what our September book club pick will be. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you want more of the stacks, you got to join the stacks pack. It is only $5 a month. And if you join, you have access to our monthly virtual book club hangs, the stacks pack discord channel, and a monthly stacks bonus episode. Plus, you get to rest easy knowing that your support makes the stacks possible. So if you like this podcast, join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the stacks. Shout out to some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Justin Castillo, Tony Heald, Leah Capolucci, Carolyn Rasp, Mary Ann Diamond, and Kira DeLong. Thank you all so much for joining the Stacks Pack, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack for being your wonderful selves. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with lots and lots of spoilers with Sam Sanders about You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty. All right, everybody. It is the Stacks Book Club Day. I am joined again by friend of the podcast, fantastic podcast journalist, cultural critic, human being, Sam Sanders. Welcome back, Sam. Thank you for having me. I am right now just like envious of the bookshelf that is on the screen behind you (laughs) because I have a lot of books and I have some bookshelf space, but there's just a large corner of my living room that right now is just piles of books. And I tell myself it's cute, but it's not. It's not. I lived that life for 
for three years. <laughs> um, so I finally got bookshelves this year. So I feel very proud. Beautiful. Um, but thank you. Thank you. They're from Ikea. Don't worry. Okay. You too can have this look. <laughs> Are we going Ikea. to Ikea together to get bookshelves soon? Yes. I need, bu- I need more bookshelves. Done. I actually need to hang some. Anyways. Okay. We're already, t- <laughs> already on a fucking tangent, yes. Sam. Jesus. Okay. Uh, Everybody, today for Book Club, we are discussing You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akweke Amezi, which is a 2022 romance novel. Um, and there will be spoilers today, people. So if you haven't listened, if you haven't read the book or listened to the book or whatever, don't blame us when we tell you what happens because we're going deep. Um, let me give folks a quick primer if you haven't read the book or what, or you don't quite remember. It's about Faye, who is a Black woman living in Brooklyn who has suffered a terrible trauma when her husband and love of her life is killed in a car accident that they're in together about five years before the book starts. The book is sort of the beginning of her getting back into the dating scene. And then she meets a guy, Nasir, who takes her on vacation to his family's home in an unnamed island. She meets the father. There are sparks. And here we are. Um, Okay, we always start here. What did you think generally of the book? My first thought was, why aren't I reading more romance novels? This is so fun. <laughs> it's just a thing that like hasn't been part of my book intake for a while. You know, it's probably the yeah. way that America teaches us what men should read and what women should mm-hmm. read, etc. Mm-hmm. But I was reading it the whole time and I was just like, oh, all I want in my life before I go to bed right now is a really fun romance novel. And this was that. I know that I liked it. I know that parts of it felt cheesy, but I thought that was the point. I know that parts of the plot didn't make sense, but also that was the point. And so if I'm just looking at this book in terms of like, what was my visceral experience? In general, it was just quite fun. It was quite fun. I'm totally with you. I went into this book being like, I don't really like romance. I've read a few romance novels that I've liked, but I'm a pretty like pragmatic Mm -hmm. and like I'm not into a lot of feeling stuff. I don't like love in that way. Yeah. Um, And I've talked about how I especially don't like romance novels because I'm a very slow reader. Mm -hmm. And because romance novels always end with happiness, I'm always like, ahead of the book in a way that if I could like I'll watch a rom-com movie because it's only like an hour and a half or two hours but spending like six or eight hours with something where I know where it's going to end up together anyway yes yeah that's really hard for me but I like this book because I actually didn't exactly know where it was going I mean I knew where it was going but I wasn't sure how it was all going to play out so I liked that and I thought it was a fun ride and I loved the mess of it and I loved the main character and like it had such good writing. I just had a great time. There are def. I have notes also, but yeah. like, yeah. But like, I overall, this was a yes for me. Yeah. Are you familiar with the rules of the romance novel? I'm guessing it always has to end with some kind of happy ending. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing there always has to be some kind of like wait until there's like the physical release of them having sex for the first time. Okay. <laughs> And at some point, you have to assume that their love is going to fall apart. But no, I'm guessing. But I don't know. What are the rules? So there's only two rules. One is happily ever after or happy for now. Okay. Um, Basically, the book ends on a happy note. You know, maybe they don't get married, but like, yeah, 
the book ends with them together. And then the other one is even more obvious, which is there has to be a central love story. Yeah. And those are the two rules of romance. Um, they're very broad, I think. Well, I think Happy Happy Ever After is pretty narrow, but I think the central love story is pretty broad. Um, I don't know if you know this about this book, but this book caused a lot of contra- controversy uh-huh. in, the book, in the romance girly Why? community because a lot of romance people don't think that this book is a romance novel. I would love to read from page 134 for them. It is a romance okay, novel. Please read from page <laughs> And this is what I highlighted to be like, Oh, this is what I've been missing. Like, I remember as a kid, my mother read a bunch of romance novels like Danielle Steele. And I would like sneak and like read a page or two. And I was like, this is crazy. But in my adulthood, I'm like, no, this is it. This is it. And there was one exchange that really made me like see when this kind of genre can like be at its best. She does it. And I want to find it. Give me one second. This is before they hook up. When okay. there's some sexual tension over a can of mangoes, literally oh, a can yes. of mangoes. So many mangoes. <laughs> Alim, Alim, how do you say it? Alim? I've been saying Alim. Alim, I okay. don't know. Alim was liquid in that space, totally at ease. An ivory kitchen cloth slung over his shoulder. He walked over to a large refrigerator, his body reflecting warped on its surface, then pulled out a metal canister frosted with cold shaking it before depressing its lever. A thick foam spurted out, deep and orange, splashing against the rim of the metal bowl on the counter. As Alim steadied the flow, Faye smelled mango, sharp and sweet and tangy in the air. He put down the canister and tilted the bowl, then scooped some foam dripping off the rim with two fingers and held it out for her a taste his eyes still on the bowl as he tipped it back and forth with his other hand, gauging the consistency. They've made a sex scene out of a can of mangoes. How mango is that foam. not peak mango perfect foam romance will never novel? Never be the same. Never be the same. So listen, I'm with you. I think this is a romance. I think there is a conversation to be had with people who are much more entrenched in the romance community than you and I, I guess, about like what makes romance. But my experience of having publicly read this book and engaging with other readers, both romance readers and not, is that the controversy around whether this is a romance novel or not comes from the idea that she doesn't meet the central love interest until page 75 or something. And so but what's wrong with that? Well, therefore, it's contemporary fiction. It's a story about a woman looking for love, but it's not necessarily a romance novel because the love story isn't central. I disagree. The love story think, is very central. Well, I think part of their love story is all the stuff that comes before. Mm-hmm. I think part of the love story is like she hooks up with Milan, then she meets Nasir, and then Nasir takes her to the island, and then she meets Aleem, and the moment she sees him, it is on. Yeah. We are headed to Mango Foam, people. Yeah. We're on the road to yes. foam and lacy bras on a hike. There you go. Like, it's happening. It's happening. I guess for me, it's like if the plot of the book feels rom com enough for me, it's a romance book. But I have a lower standard, I guess. Yeah. I, have a lower I mean, standard. I think, yeah, we have a lower standard, but I also am just like, I think there is like some gatekeeping in the romance community about like what is and isn't. And I think like also because Aquake Amezi is a literary fiction writer as well. And you know, they're very they're, prolific as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's part of it is that people feel 
a type of way when authors who are not proclaimed romance authors try to write romance like that there's some protection mm. around that and maybe like some hyper criticism because also you know when Amezi does write books they're beloved books and they get a lot of attention and I think that like romance readers and romance authors are used to being shit on in the industry like what you were talking about earlier it's like a women's genre yeah. it's just love stories it's always the, you know so I think there's some protection over like when someone from the outside tries to do it that it's like, are they doing justice or are they just trying to get a bunch of romance readers? You know, yeah. I think there's like all sorts of nuance like yeah. with crossover into genre fiction. Which is which makes me think a lot of like the debate over whether Lil Nas X's song Old Town Road was actually right. country or not. It's like right. we can have that conversation. Is it country right. or not? But if you're invested in the success of country music, you're just happy it's, it's a hit. Yeah. It's a hit, right? And so, like, for me, it's like, did this book make readers happy? Was it popular? Could it possibly yeah. get more readers into romance books? Yes. Then A-OK. -okay. <laughs> like, A-OK. Yeah. -okay. yeah. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. I'm like, I'll read more romance because I like this book. Yeah. Okay. Let's dig into some of the book. Okay. So, for me, I was like, I know I like this book because the first scene is a hot and sexy sex scene. And I hate slow burn yeah they're fucking in the like, first chapter they're fucking raw dog <laughs> in, the in the bathroom at a party yes. i'm just like let's fucking go yes <laughs> but then we had to wait hundreds of pages for more sex yeah this is my biggest critique mm -hmm. the main character ruins a family yes enrages a potential suitor all before she's fucked to the guy. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't it's even big, had sex with the guy. It's big bachelor energy because on The Bachelor, <laughs> it's like, I love you so much. I'm like, you've never even seen me naked. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. Like, you've never, like, we've never talked about our credit scores. We've never, <laughs> like, I, like, you know nothing about me except for that, like, maybe I had a troubled past or something. But, yeah. like, you're willing to throw it all away, go on national TV, yeah. profess your love, get dumped, like, all this shit for a sh fucking stranger. That part for me is always the hard part with romance. I'm just supposed to believe you see this person and you love them. I I will believe you see this person and you want to fuck them. Like, yes. I will believe that. Yes. I am with you on that. Yes. But when it starts to be like, I'm willing to give up my whole life for you. Away. And we met yeah. yesterday and we haven't even done relations yet. I'm sorry. Right. Like, I've licked foam off your finger. <laughs> Which, like, is kinky. Yeah, but, also, but also, I don't know that it's like... I, and, and I think it's interesting because I feel like Aleem, the dad, he's really the one who is has the most to lose in the oh, story. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he's the one who... Who's kind of pushing for it. Who's pushing for it? But he's the one who blows up the family. It's not her. No, because it's not she's her like family. prepared to be like, I understand this is kind of fucked up. And he's like, No, 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 no. And this is what this this gets to one of my larger critiques. And it didn't cloud my enjoyment of the book. It was still enjoyable to read. But as soon as you start to try to really, really, really get into all of these main characters' motivations, the motivations make no sense. No sense. So like this father character, Aleem, yeah. we also find out over the course of the book, and spoiler alert, uh, he is queer. And at one point in his life, he had tried to introduce a male suitor 
to the family and they shut it down and he wasn't allowed to live that part of his life because he's a very famous chef yes. from this Caribbean island yes and the the his kids were worried that it would ruin his career and also ruin the family image and it would be they would be the talk of the town and they didn't want that for him or for them exactly and so to have this character who didn't follow love just for career considerations to then choose to follow love in a way that blows up his family. It feels out of character. We, from the Aleem that we know, he seems to be someone who does what he needs to do to keep his family and his career together. But making this choice in the book is the opposite of that. I'm confused. Yeah. And he says it's because he did what everybody else wanted before and he's been lonely and unhappy. Do you I don't buy know. that? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Because I I feel like what the kids did was really fucked up, right? Like being like, you, you can't, can't be with this. this person. But we're saying that ostensibly because we want to protect your career. Assets. Your assets. Yeah. We live in your houses. You pay for us yeah. to live. Like, yeah. And it's like, you know, the kids are just homophobic, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I think yeah. Yeah. like it's like they're it's the thing of like, oh, you know, we don't we don't care that you're gay. We just don't want other people to know mm-hmm. because your career is doing really well. And like I hate that for everyone. Yeah. But I do think that there is a kind of person who feels that way of like, I have been doing everything in my life for these kids since their mother died. They have yeah. been my whole life. Yeah. Every decision I've made, I've put them first. Mm-hmm. And now I want to put myself first. So I do sort of I I can see that, but also but also he could have done that for the dude earlier. Putting himself first, yeah. Is it's not just I'm putting myself first. I'm actually saying this year, fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't give a fuck about this your feelings at all yeah. anymore. Everything and I think ab- that's yeah. the hard part. Everything about the way he's presented as a father makes him seem like the most caring father. Right. And so if he were to have a relationship where he fully gives its heart his heart to, he's not going to try to find a person who is not his son's love interest. He's not going to like right. that was just like I thought this guy loved right. his kids. Yeah, it it's a little bit aggressively like I'm doing the opposite of what I've done to yeah. every single degree. Yeah. I also think like even just the fact that like he I, I think another version of this character, which is a way less interesting book, is that when he starts to have feelings for Faye, he immediately goes to Nasir and, and says, says something. Hey. Or they all sit, you know, like that there's a way that it doesn't fall out that the gardener is like talking, <laughs> like gossiping, like, hey, Although, your dad's fucking some hot blonde bitch. I always with gold love hair. it when that trick comes out of the bag. The nosy gardener. Oh, Love it always nosy, works. Yes, it always if works. Any nosy domestic worker, yes. <laughs> I'm just like, yes. Yeah. Is it a maid? Is it a chef? Is it a gardener? Like, yeah. We are watching and we are waiting for the fallout. Like in the like in the movies where you see the like maid lean back behind the doorway and like peek at an affair or something. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, she's gonna blow this up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to know what you thought about the confrontation between Faye and Nasir, where we're basically told through all the context clues in this book to take her side. It felt weird. 
So when he like when he comes to her after he finds out from the gardener, yes, what has happened, and he's physically violent, grabbing all her clothes, calling her all sorts of names. That that scene. Well, and then also later on when they interact again, at one point she's like clawing at his face. Where was mm. that? That happened. When they're at by the like gallery? the gazebo or the gazebo. whatever. Like she's like scratching his face and like, oh, how no, dare at you? Oh, no, the gallery. At the gallery. Yeah, at the gallery. Yeah. I found many times the book was asking me to take her side mm-hmm. when clearly she was approaching something of a home wrecker. Like yeah. in what world do you say anything besides I'm very sorry? This family has boosted your art career. Yeah. Let you be on an island vacation for weeks, sure. uh, and you sl- and you're about to sleep with the dad after the mm-hmm. son obviously wants you. Once you get caught, don't you just say, "Yeah, my bad," and go home? She stays at the house, yeah, and then scratches Nasir in the face. I okay. don't understand that. Okay, so I have a slightly different read okay. on the first confrontation. Okay, where he finds out, he comes to the house, he's calling her names, whatever. I, from the beginning, felt weird about Nasir because the first kind of scene where they're alone together, do you remember they're on the rooftop and Mm -hmm. he's like touching her and he's like, hey, you want to like keep going or whatever? And she's like, no, what the fuck are you doing? Because Nasir has just seen her with Milan. A happy hour with Milan, who's his friend. Yeah. And the vibe of the way that that scene was described was so reminiscent of when I used to be a 20 something mm. living in New York city, mm-hmm. hanging out with friends. I would be there with someone and mm-hmm. like their friend would be inappropriate towards me or like overly flirtatious or touchy or just like putting the moves on. Mm-hmm. And I would clearly be like, I'm not down with this. Mm-hmm. And then it would become this awkward thing of like male ego. And then I would start to feel stressed out because there's like that element of danger. And in that scene on page 22, um, Ambezi writes, quote, he was hunting her and that language. And yeah. she describes him as dangerous in that yeah. scene. And so that scene to me felt so like I recognize that entitlement. Yeah. Yes. And so when it comes out again, so far into the book in this like heightened emotional scene to me that was like this is the guy he's always been yes he's always been dangerous he's always been aggressive he just knows how to be smooth and like how to play it and he's feels entitled to her and by helping her that he deserves her or earned her and i just don't buy into that and like that scene was scary where he's like throwing her shit violent with her? her yeah and he is i mean he puts his hands on her like he I felt in that moment, regardless of what she had done, she wasn't he safe. He could be angry. Yeah. yeah, she wasn't safe. And and he's always been that guy. And yes. he was just trying to put the moves on her to yes. get her. And when he didn't get what he wanted, he freaked out. Yeah. What I didn't understand though, because this perfectly tracks, why why do we go through that entire middle of the book with her not acknowledging in the way she writes about Nasir that dichotomy? I wanted more acknowledgement of, yeah, he's 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 being such a good friend now, but in the back of my head, do I reminisce about that first night when he was hunting me? There's never right. discussion of that until it right. all blows up. 
all blows up. Yeah. And like also the thing where he's always like, we're friends, huh? Yeah. I found that so deeply manipulative. And that, I wanted like, her to speak to it in the copy. Yes. You know? I agree. I agree. I wish that it was talked about more because that is the key of that of that Nasir character to me. It's like yes. he's the he's, he's that nice he's guy not, who's not a nice he's guy. He's that finance bro mm-hmm. who, who can pretend like, to be feels, nice. Yeah, who feels like nice guys finish last, but he's not actually nice, and that's why he's finishing last. And I wanted not discussion yet. of that. You know how like yes. in Gone Girl, the book, not the movie. The yes. movie kind of fails, but in the book, when she spends pages just breaking down. The myth of the cool girl. The cool girl, yeah. And it's just pages like talking about this trope of a person. Right. I wanted that about yeah. Nasir's character because he is yeah. a trope. We all know that guy. Talk about right. what that guy is and, and like why he exists. We didn't get right. that. And I wish because like I feel like with Milan, we get that sort of thing when she's talking to Joy about him. And yeah. she's like he's and, and Joy's like, you were fucking a teddy bear. And she's uh-huh. like, yeah, you gross. Yeah. And like we sort of needed that about Milan of like he's that guy who acts nice. But then you see these flashes yes. of like entitlement. Yes. And like all of that does track within his character. He's got this rich daddy who flies his friends out mm-hmm. and this whole thing. And he's attracted to her and he's like taking it slow, but always like trying to touch on her. It's just like and then he throws it in her face. I was taking it slow. Like, OK, well, you're not entitled to have sex with anyone. So, yeah. you know, like she doesn't actually owe you anything. You guys kissed a few times. Like, yeah. Granted, she, I think that like she, you know, abused or used his generosity oh, in yeah. a way that like I'm not a super huge fan of, though I don't think that what she did she there is like violence that. or that kind yeah. of rage. But like she was towing the line, knowing she wasn't into him and still going on this trip, like knowing she wasn't into him and still. Mm-hmm. You know, but then he was saying, we're friends, we're friends, yeah. you know. I also don't get, like, she's not dumb, she's very smart. Yeah. Why, didn't she, why didn't she just leave before it got that crazy? I'm just yeah. like, all right, if I'm in this situation where a new potential love interest, who I'm not sure if I'm into yet, invites me to his family compound, but <laughs> then I realize... The dad's catching feelings for me and vice versa, but also the son's going to be gone for a while. My nervous ass, the first thing I would do would say, how can I remove myself from this situation? Which would be just going back home to Brooklyn. Right. Or going to the hotel that the woman who commissioned the art said she could go to. Yes. Like there were options. I mean, I think part of that is like you have to suspend your disbelief because if she leaves the book and then there's no book. Exactly. It's not a romance novel. It's not even a novel. It's just like. A draft. Yeah. But I I feel you. I feel like we're mature adults and I feel like a lot of mature adults would do would do that. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have left even earlier. I think I would have left like as soon as my piece was done, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I would have done the commission from Brooklyn. Yeah. And like and then I would have like gotten Aleem's number and text him and been like, You're super rich. Like come to New York. Because like that's another thing. Money's not an issue for these people. Yeah. Does it all have to happen in the house where Nasir is? Y'all couldn't just move this to New York. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I also also is she still paying rent in New York this whole time? A lot of it. Like, (laughs) let me tell you something. Also, is there a day job at all to speak of? unclear unknown (laughs) seems unlikely but this is the thing it's like we are going through and being kind of nitpicky none of my nitpicking 
takes away from the general sense of enjoyment I had reading this whole yes. thing. Totally. She does this and thing where picking it. yes, every sentence is fun. She Every writes in such a great. fun way. And I don't even know. Yeah. I, I wish I had better words to describe it. Their writing is just so fun. Every yeah. sentence they write is enjoyable. And the writing leans into the absurdity and whimsy of those first romantic sparks that we've all felt. Like, it's cheesy, but isn't that what romance is at first? Cheesy. It's cheesy. Yeah. The mango is cheesy. The foam is yeah. cheesy. The sparks are cheesy. And, like, their writing captures that thing feeling so beautifully, I can forgive all of my minor quibbles, all of them. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that the writing is so good and there's so much to play with, but also the nitpicking, I think, is part of my enjoyment with yes. reading in general, but specifically yes. with reading this book. Like so much of the fun of this book has been being on the Stacks Pack Discord and mm. like having everyone weigh in and being like, what the fuck was this? Why did they do that? I mm-hmm. hate this person. I love this part. And like digging into all the different ways that we read these situations, because yes. I think that is like so many books are not juicy and fun to engage with yes so even great books like i think of what you talk about so much on your show and like in your work is about this idea of monoculture and i feel like this book is a kind of book that could be a monoculture moment if more oh, people were totally. reading totally like it's the kind of book that you want to be like oh my god just read this book so we can talk about it like there you go i want to know what you think and i feel like there's so litter little literature these days that is doing that like just like feeling zeitgeisty yeah. just because it's fun well and it's the kind of book and the kind of topic that can allow smart people to argue about a book with low yeah. stakes i yeah, feel like totally. sometimes when i argue with people about books the books are about such serious topics that it feels like the entire argument itself is fraught because it's so heavy Right. This and it's is like so. Yeah. Yeah. This is light. So I could argue with anyone about it for an hour and not feel bad at the end. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's totally. Fun. It's fun. totally. Wait, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day. No exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. 
If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. Wait, I, I want to go back to the other part of the scene that you were talking about where she like puts her hands on Nasir at the art gallery. Yeah. Um, she gets a phone call from another employee of, of another institution, the art gallery, who's like, Your man's hey, over here. Nasir's here and He's the vibes are off. Girl. <laughs> yeah, it, he, the vibes are off, come quick. And so she goes and she goes full like mama bear and digs her hands, I think, into his face or chest or something and tells him basically, get the fuck away from my shit because I I will go even harder on you next time. And I mean, here's this is how I read this scene. And this is maybe me defending violence. So sorry, everyone. But the art installation is wedding rings and blood. And the rings, the rings include the actual wedding ring of her dead exactly. husband. It's a big deal. And his actual blood. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, sh- it's like you can fuck with my clothes in your dad's house or whatever. But when you fuck with my livelihood, my professional career and the actual mm-hmm. like sentimental pieces that I have left of my dead husband, like I don't think she could control herself. Like I don't think, and I don't think that she wanted to, and I don't think she wanted to leave any space for Nasir to ever fucking try it again. Oh, for sure. And I get that, but I'm also like, if I am her, as soon as Nasir comes in and goes off on me for making out with his dad, yeah, I'm leaving the island. Yes. I'm, leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving. The island. I'm leaving. I'm she leaving. stuck I'm around leaving. for how many weeks? Weeks. Yeah, weeks. Yeah, she stuck. She stuck around for too long. But in that scene, I get it. I get it. Well, also, I wonder was she sticking around to protect her art? Was she worried about this very thing happening? This is where I would have loved a little more, you know, yeah. unveiling of the internal monologue. Like I would have loved to just have more of an explanation of what was going on in her head, not so much of the like ennui between her and Elaine. 
Yeah. Okay. I get that. I fully get that. Okay. Who do you think? Well, first of all, do you think this book is messy? Oh my God. It's so messy. It's okay, so that's messy. what I think. But a lot of people were telling me it's not that messy. And I'm like, I'm not reading enough romance novels. Well, I just I'm, don't know what else could be messier. Wow. Everyone <laughs> is everyone, and I say this with love as a as as one of the alphabet people. Most of the main characters are messy bisexuals who we love. Yes. <laughs> they we are love. fornicating. Not just on the mainland, but also in the islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is wealth. There are celebrity chefs. There's art. There is fornication that starts out in a bathroom at a party in chapter one. How is this not messy? Well, and then there's uh, an affair with someone's your your situation ship's father. Literally, that is mess. <laughs> capital M. To me, this is so messy. But I think also, and I said I said this in the Discord with the staff because we've been talking about this all month. This book has been the most engaging book on really? the Stacks Discord. Oh my gosh. It's I've never been so active. I've been doing the show for years. We've had the Discord for, I think, two years now. It's never been so active. I love but it. But I think some of it is the cultural use of the phrase mess. I think mm. black people use mess different than white people. Tell me more. I'm intrigued. I'm not sure how white people are using it, but people were like, it's messy, but they're like, it's not that messy because they're both adults and they take mm. accountability for their actions, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, no. No one took accountability. <laughs> but also to me, mess is not, it has something to do with who took account- accountability down the road or in the moment or whatever. To me, mess is, are we talking about this at brunch? And let me tell you, if I am Joy, I am oh. texting all of our other friends yes. being like, Girl, you guys, Faye is going nuts Faye out there. Is doing Listen it. to this story. Like, to like, me, that's yeah. mess. It's the gossip. It's the chisme. It's like yeah. the juicy crazy shit regardless of how it plays out exactly mess is like that stuff in the moment where you're like holy shit girl what yes. are you doing if you want to gossip about it it is inherently that's messy mess. that's mess. i agree yes yeah. same page it's, same page okay. that's how i feel so i think maybe i don't exactly know how the whites are using it <laughs> caucasians please let us know but i i feel that uh, the way that I use mess as a black person, this book is that. It's mess. Um, it's mess. You know it's going to be a, an Amazon Prime video, yes. either movie or TV show? I think Michael B. Jordan's yeah. company. Do you think he'll be in it? Do you think he plays Nasir? I sure motherfucking hope so. I hope he's I, a lean. Let him be a lean, I, baby. No, I hope he's Milan because I want that scene <laughs> in the beginning with him. Hello. <laughs> no, I think I think Aleem has to be a little bit older because yeah. he's like almost 50. What if Aleem could be Blair Underwood? I never get tired mm. of him. I never get but tired of him. Do you think? I mean, listen, I, I'm always going to go Idris, but, you know, that's just me. I don't know who's managing Idris's career right now, but I'm just like, where are you, my dude? Yeah, where are you? You made a fool of death with your beauty is waiting. Literally, come do it. <laughs> that would actually be great. As long as you keep him from contributing any tracks to the soundtrack. He cannot do that. <laughs> you know, he he's, try, to he's that? tried to rap for a while. He, he's for sure a DJ and he's released a few rap tracks and we're like, baby, no, James Bond need not rap. You don't need I to do that. I have no idea. <laughs> yes. After this is done, go search for his music on I will Spotify. Be linking, I will be linking to this in the show notes, people. Don't you worry. Um, <laughs> Who should play Faye? I, you know... I'm so bad at coming up with actresses. Can can Dominique Fishback do it? I just love her. <laughs> I do love her. I would not I mind. I think she might be Joy. A part of me, I don't know if Halle Bailey can do it. No. 
And I don't know if Lupita is young enough at this point to do it. Can Zendaya do it? The she girl, might be too no, she's too light skin. Sorry, and no shade. To, uh, literally, love no shade to yeah. my people. <laughs> she's who too could light. Do okay, it. who could do it? I feel like I always feel like this is the hard part with black actresses. Is like there's so few, mm-hmm. and there's like always such a huge age gap in the like twenty something range. It's yeah. like. Because black people can play young. So it's like all these women in their like 30s and 40s exactly. playing 20-year-olds, but exactly. there's not actually 20-year-olds. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like I'm missing an obvious person, though. Although I do like the idea of, of Dominique Fishback. I do. I love her. I think she's so yeah. talented. So, and it'd be so, a turn yeah. for her because her character in Swarm was very flat on purpose, you know, this like yeah. detached serial killer. I wonder... Oh, wait, I, would, I have someone. Who? What about... Janelle Monet. Oh. Because she acts. She sure does act. <gasps> and I feel like I she like kind that. of has the sad girl vibe. And she's, she's very queer. sensual. She's very sensual. She's very sensual. She's an artist. She sort of has that artisty thing. She's fluid and like it would, I would believe her kind of flip flopping through all of these men. Yeah. You know, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate that either. Let's, uh, Let's call some studios up. Well, let's call up let's Michael call, B. Jordan. Let's call Michael. Yeah. Do you have his number? <laughs> I don't know. But now I'm on I know a mission to find I Barry it. Jenkins now. Oh, so Lord. a chance the rapper. I know you have all these famous friends now. So maybe you can get us a meeting face to face. Michael B., if you are listening, I will happily be the intimacy coordinator for this yes. shoot. <laughs> and I will also star if you need someone just yes. for the some of the scenes with yes. Michael. Yes. I'm a veils. I'm a veils. Um, yeah. Wait, I wanted to ask you, who is the messiest of them all? I know what it felt like to be 28. Okay. And I was almost a homewrecker myself at 28. That's another conversation. Ooh, um, okay. So I'm not going to hold all that against Faye. Um, Aleem should know better. You I are how way. old? You have how much at stake with your career? You've been down so many of these roads before, especially knowing that he has gone through a similar kind of grief uh, mm-hmm. with his wife dying years ago. Mm-hmm. Him knowing that kind of loss mm-hmm. almost makes it feel like he was predatory on Faye, who was so sure. fresh and raw in those emotions still. So I'm, he's the messiest. I think like, so too. Do better. I think so you too. knew your son brought her out here. He was obviously interested in her. You have a duty to just check your penis. Mm-hmm. You just have a duty as a father. So he's the messiest. Although he's the one I most want to uh, have a drink or more with. <laughs> or have a, a mango flavored cocktail, perhaps? <laughs> Listen, he can make me a mango dinner, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's the messiest I mean, though. He's the messiest. He's like, the fuck messiest. Fuckboy energy. Fuckboy energy. Big. But I feel okay. So here's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think that he is not far from the grown-up version of Nasir. There's the entitlement. He uh, feels like he can have what he wants. Uh-huh. He feels like he can manipulate the situation uh-huh. to. And you know, not to take any agency away from Faye, because I think she, you know, we follow her. It's her sort of her point of view. We're closest to her point of view yeah. throughout the book. But so I'm not suggesting that she was manipulated into this relationship. But I do feel like the entitlement to her mm-hmm. does not feel far away from the entitlement that Nasir 
expresses throughout the book. However, he's just more mature. He's smoothed it out. It's not so obvious. Yeah. It's sort of like this underlying thing. Yeah. That like he should get what he wants regardless of what happens to his family, regardless of what that what happens to Faye. You know, like the fact that Nasir came into the house and was violent with her in his home, like that it was a dereliction of his duty as yeah. well. well like, and then to even let her stay after that. Yeah. He could have been the adult and said, things have gotten a little bit too heated. I think everyone needs some space. It might be best if you are not here for a while. And he's like, yeah. stay, stay, stay. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I, I definitely think he's the messiest. I, I think, you know, I heard you and I are both the children of age gap marriages. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of people I've heard from were unhappy with the age gap. And I was like, oh, it never occurs to me that people have a problem with age gaps because yeah. my parents were 17 years apart. Totally. And yours were even 42 more, years like, apart. My yeah. mother had me when she was 28 and my father at that time was 70. And you want to hear about mess. I can say this because they are literally both deceased now and they would laugh at this. Um, <laughs> my mother was fresh out of college teaching her first teaching job at like an elementary school in Seguin, Texas. And one of the other teacher friends she became close with, uh, an older teacher, she got cancer. And so my mother, a good friend, would go visit her colleague who had cancer in the hospital all the time. The colleague's husband at that time is my dad. Oh. They Did the colleague die of cancer? The colleague died of cancer. And within a year, my mother was married to her widower, my dad, and we all think that she might have been pregnant at the wedding with my brother. Oh, <laughs> and I'm see, never going to say mess. no to that because it got me here. <laughs> yes. Also, there's mess. Yeah, there's mess. And my mother talked about this time in her life with me pretty frequently when I was old enough to talk about it with her because, you know, mm -hmm. mothers love telling their gay kids all the mess. And <laughs> she basically was like, I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing. Oh, see? I feel like that makes me like the book more somehow. <laughs> like, I feel like it makes me feel better about some of the mess of the book of like, maybe they actually do end up happily ever after. Maybe they do. Also, this is a thing. Most relationships start out messy. My favorite hobby is to read the New York Times oh, vows section yes, yes. and guess which relationship actually began with cheating because they will always mask mm. it with some euphemism. Like mm. when they first met, they could not be together. And it's like, oh, so oh, yeah. one of them cheated. One of them yep. cheated, right? Yeah. Or like when they first met, they were both in another relationship. Uh -huh. But eventually time brought yeah. them back together. And you're so like, it's like, every, this is the way it works. Like this is yeah. the way it works. And like whether it's in the New York Times vow section or in a romance novel, this is kind of the human condition. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, I think another thing that's like so present in this book and I think is done really well in the book, but I'm curious to hear what you think is how grief shows up. Do you feel yeah. like the book portrays grief well? Do you feel like I know that you're kind of in a season of grief right now as your mother passed away recently? Like, did it resonate with you at all? Oh, it or? does. I, and I appreciated how this book deals with the emotional complexity Mm -hmm. of grief. Mm -hmm. So Faye, she is still shaken up about the loss of her husband, who she lost in the most brutal way, right. but she's also still horny. And like yeah. both can be true. So like right. the, the moral of the story 
on grief with this book is that like your grief can actually contain a multitude of emotions. I can be grief stricken and horny at the same time. I can be a mess over the death of a loved one and still be messy. Right. Like that is the through line of this book. And like, that's real. So I appreciated that. It was real. This idea that people are just like when they're grieving, they're just in a corner being grief stricken. No, they're living lives, too. They're living lives, too. And they can still be. Uh <laughs> oh, yeah. And like make bad decisions. But I also feel like so much of like grief. I feel like grief stories and love stories go together. Yeah, you know? oh, for sure. Like, and I feel like that's what makes the grief, I think, in this book feel very resonant is because if this book was just a story of a woman who is coming to terms with the loss of her husband and trying to get back out there but without the sort of like forced love story part, I don't think this book is successful. I think that the grief needs the love to be able to sort of show the juxtaposition, but also the complementary feelings of like the fear and the loss and like the stress of new love and all of that. I think they tie together really well. Oh yeah. Well also what is romantic love? If just a respite between bouts of grief, mm. all relationships end in grief. One of you right. dies and one of you leaves the other one. Bottom right. line. And so romantic love is actually always dancing around grief. And it was refreshing right. to see a romance novel also talk about grief, too. You know, I liked it. Yeah. And like talk about it well, like give it real yeah. time yeah. and energy and not just be like, she lost her husband and she's a sad girl now. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. It's I feel like, like that's so it. often how like books handle grief. It's like, she's so sad. She's crying in her room all day. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, it's been five years. Like, she's sad and it probably hits her in waves, but like, let's dig in. And I, yeah. I think, you know, there's so many passages in the book that I thought were really, really well written like really just beautifully written there's the speech about the the fish at at the dinner for her about like the softness of grief let me see if i can find it i have it on 147 um oh so he's talking about this lionfish that's like venomous to humans and he says the devastation the lionfish uh wreaks reminds me of grief the way it destroys so many around us the way it feels like a lifetime of venom spikes piercing through us um amazing amazing it's just like there's just there's a there's so many lines or moments like that there's the space the sun speech on 175 that i thought was so fantastic i just there's so many of these like quick moments where i'm like i recognize that i i feel seen to i feel seen in my grief and like you know like yeah well hits it's hits And, and like my only critique and it's not even really a critique like 15% 15% more of that and yes. and 15% less of a whole chapter where they're not fucking but they're talking about mango juice. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved I loved both of those things but I would have like tilted the scales a little more to that kind of, you know, exposition on emotion. So yeah. much of it was exposition on sexual frustration, which is what romance novels do, but she's yeah. so good at talking about the emotion when she goes there. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like I I wanted more sex, just period. Uh, Well, because, yeah, like, they don't actually fuck until after page 200. Yeah, I think it's like uh, 253. Wow. 
I love that you notated it. <laughs> I did because I was like, when the fuck am I getting sex again? Like, this is killing me. And then we get it on this hike where she's like in a dress on a hike. And yeah, I just like, come I, on now. Come on. I now. mean, we're Angelinos. knows we hike. It's not a dress <laughs> moment. And it's not like she's in a sporty, like tennis dress. She's wearing a lacy bra with a, and a hike. And I'm just like, listen. Yeah. I, yeah. Like spandex come on. is sexy too. Okay. Like, can she be in a legging? <laughs> yes. Can we have a sports bra moment? <laughs> yes. I'm asking. Okay. The last thing that I just want to quickly touch on is the title and the cover. The book is called you made a fool of death with your beauty. And it's a lyric from a Florence and the Machine song, Hunger. Which surprised you know? me because there are no white people in this book. Not a single one. Not it a surprised one. me as well, but I love the title. Oh, it's great. It's great. It I totally thought it was like an old Nigerian proverb until I Googled it. And I was like, oh, Florence. <laughs> <laughs> that well, ancestor Florence. <laughs> I mean, I, I like it because I feel like there's so much talk of like beauty and youth and death in this book. And also like the foolishness of the all foolishness. of it like it, it just yeah. all worked for me the cover is mediocre for me i like the color i have the orange one the green one i hate the color but i don't know the cover is like striking but also sort of means nothing i mean i was just like why is there a hummingbird mm. like okay yeah, yeah. i although yeah. i i don't ever know what to think about book covers. I'm a person who loves books, but has no universal theory on book covers. And I actually always hate it when people say, you can judge a book by its cover because it's like, I can't. I don't I know can. how to. I really? Can. Okay. Well, I, just, I just know what I like. And usually if I see something that I think is ugly, I assume that whatever's <laughs> inside the book is not going to be to my liking because they thought that the cover was worth putting their book on Ooh. inside their book. That's how I feel, but I'm a hater. Um, I love it. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being here. This was such a joy. Everyone, you can find Sam at his podcasts, Intuit and Vibe Check. Um, Thank you. This was so much fun. Yes. I'm so plugged in now to just continuing to read romance novels the rest of this year. I want you to send me recommendations. And listeners, if you're so inclined, let me know what romance should I be reading? Because this was fun. People will let you know. I can't wait to hear what you read next. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much. You are the best. I will talk to you soon. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Sam Sanders for being our guest. And now for the big announcement, our September book club pick is Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma by Claire Dieterer. It's an examination of the age-old conundrum around the art versus the artist. Listen next week to find out who our guest will be for our September 27th discussion. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And if you listen through Apple podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a rating and a review. For more from the stacks, follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram, TikTok and threads and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter. And you can check out our website, the This episode of The Sacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 